Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, it is a Findlay tradition. The Cops and Kids Halloween Parade is almost here, and they still need volunteers to help pull it off. We'll tell you how you can be part of the fun. Also in our Throwback Thursday segment this morning, more than a thousand home fires break out every day in this country. Would you be able to escape in three minutes or less? The life-saving information everyone should know for Fire Prevention Week. And happening around town, the 14th annual Uncorked and Unplugged event is an evening of great food, fine wine, and live music to benefit the children's mentoring connection. We have details. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Thursday, October 13th, 2022. Today is Good Samaritan Day. I was looking at the uh, events, the observances and celebrations of the day. It is Good Samaritan Day. It is also the International Day for Disaster Reduction. <laughs> and yet they still let me on the air. So I don't know what the heck is going on here. International Plain Language Day. International Suit Up Day. Suit Up. And uh, be a good Samaritan today. Metastatic Breast Cancer Awareness Day. National No Bra Day. National M&M Day. National Train Your Brain Day. It is Silly Sayings Day. And happy birthday to the U.S. Navy. It's the U.S. Navy's birthday today. So reasons to celebrate indeed. Speaking of uh, Good Samaritan Day, I thought this was uh, kind of interesting. A professor in California is rewarding acts of kindness Talk about being a good Samaritan. Uh, Alan Ross from the UC Berkeley Haas School of Business has started a project to recognize one person every month and give them $1,000. No strings attached. Just for being a good person, uh, performing acts of kindness, uh, and being a decent human being, get $1,000. He is using his own money. He's taking it out of his own pocket. And he says it's just a way that he wants to give back and do his own act of kindness. Um. He's looking for nominations. Now, this is not a nationwide thing. It's uh, at the city of Berkeley, uh, California specifically, because that's where he is. It makes sense. You know, hey, it's his money. He can do whatever he wants with it. But he's uh, taking nominations for anyone who lives, works, or attends school in the city. And then uh, he's going to, I guess, put this up on the uh, website where people can vote for a winner. And the first recipient will be named next month. So that's kind of, I think, kind of cool. Just kind of a, a nice thing to do. Um, hey, here is uh, big news to uh, start your morning. Uh, you remember yesterday we were talking about the winner of the Fat Bear Contest, uh, Fat Bear Week competition at Katmai National Park in Alaska. Well, apparently, uh, it is uh, something of a, a scandal surrounding the bracket for the Fat Bear Week contest. A bunch of fake votes threatened to ruin the election of the fattest bear. The annual tournament lets bear fans vote for the Bruin who ate the most salmon in preparation for winter. (laughs) The chunkiest bear in the park. Uh, During the semifinal round between 747, which, as we mentioned yesterday, was the ultimate winner, and uh, a female bear named Holly. Why the guys get numbers and the girls get names, I don't know. But anyway, it was, uh, came down to Holly and 747 in the semifinals, and thousands of votes suddenly poured in inexplicably for Holly, the female bear. 
And apparently the ballot box was being stuffed. Fortunately, those who were running the competition caught on to the uh, fake votes and discarded all of them. They said uh, that apparently their IT people said it was easy to tell which ones were the fake votes and which ones were the real votes. So they threw out all of the, the fake votes. And once those were taken out, 747, uh, named after the big Boeing airplane because a, he's a big, big bear, uh, he was declared the winner and has moved on, uh, then moved on to the final round where he was eventually uh, named the winner, as we reported yesterday. Park officials say they have put measures in place to ensure that a similar ballot stuffing incident does not happen in the future moving forward. So, thank goodness they nipped that in the bud, uh, because I just can't even imagine what would have happened if there had been this kind of scandal after the fact. You'd have to rescind the title, you'd have to go through and do the voting all over again, it would be just a complete mess. So, thank goodness that they have uh, averted what could have been a huge scandal. Just follow up on that story. Elsewhere, among the first things you need to know, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day, it's almost Halloween. And, uh, you know, this time of year, you get the uh, haunted houses, you know, all of the attractions, the haunted houses, the haunted mazes, the haunted cornfields, so on and so forth. How about a haunted car wash? (laughs) I mean, why not? A car wash in San Antonio uh, can get your ride clean and get you into the Halloween spirit all at the same time. Super Suds Car Wash in San Antonio has turned their drive-through car wash into a haunted tunnel. Uh, this is every weekend through the end of October. The spooky car wash experience includes your typical triple foam wash, tire shine, undercarriage wash, carnuba wax, and ceramic shine, plus scary pop-ups. As you're going through the the car wash and eerie music on your radio as you drive through. So it's the uh, whole experience for uh, Halloween at a cost of $30 per car. So, wow, 30 bucks a car. I mean, it's the whole uh, ball of wax and then some in terms of the car wash. But uh, it's a little pricey, don't you think? 30 bucks a car. Okay. I thought this was uh, kind of interesting. I said this on the uh, Newswire uh, the other day, and uh, this is a report from the website digitaladoption.com. And uh, they find that with more people working remotely these days, and I guess this, well, obviously started during the pandemic, but has continued, uh, for many people, if you're working at home, that means acting as your own personal IT department, Right. You got to figure all of this stuff out. There are no uh, IT help uh, from others at work. And uh, based on Google searches for the most commonly used apps, they have compiled a list of the the most confusing office applications. Uh, The accounting software QuickBooks was deemed the most confusing office-related app. QuickBooks generated some 68,320 searches from people who were looking to troubleshoot issues and for tips and tricks on how to use the program. Uh, According to Google uh, data uh, compiled by digitaladoption.com. 
By the way, digitaladoption.com is a website designed to aid remote workers with this. So you can see the tie-in and why they're concerned or uh, interested in this. Coming in second place, Microsoft Excel, the spreadsheet uh, program, had 49,490 searches related to it. Uh, Shopify was third on the list, 44,720 queries. Um, Let's see here. Salesforce, the cloud-based software, apparently has sellers scratching their heads. 39,420 monthly searches. Yeah, these are monthly numbers, not total numbers. These are monthly numbers. Rounding out the top five, most confusing office office apps was Square, uh, which is the uh, credit card payment system uh, and uh, bank money transfer system. And uh, so that was... One of the most, the the fifth most confusing app. Uh, other other apps that made the list were Zoom, uh, Microsoft Teams, which is kind of the same thing as Zoom, and uh, those spurred literally thousands, tens of thousands of uh, searches from users looking for help. So those are the ones that uh, people had the most trouble with <laughs> when they were uh, working remotely. Uh, without an IT department. Well, that was kind of interesting. If you are among those... See, here's the thing. It's not surprising that we have trouble figuring these things out when most of us of a certain age can't even figure out emojis. This is a story um, on Reddit, the online bulletin board, that I thought was uh, kind of interesting. A uh, survey in which they found that, uh, let's see, well, I'll read the story here. Are you offending your Gen Z colleagues with the thumbs up emoji? You use the thumbs up? I use this all the time. This is probably my most used emoji, uh, is the uh, thumbs up. Somebody texts me something, and uh, you know, I want to say, okay, you got it, sounds good. You know, whatever. I'll just text an emoji, thumbs up. But a survey of 2,000 people between the ages of 16 to 29 finds that the thumbs up emoji <laughs> is for people who are old and past it. <laughs> well, I guess that would describe me. Old and past it. And some users say it comes across as hostile. Um, Gen X people always do it. Uh, according to one anonymous 20-something who writes on Reddit, it took me a bit to adjust and get it out of my head that it means they're mad at me. Apparently, for younger adults, the thumbs-up emoji, for some reason, means that you are mad at them. If, if you send them the thumbs-up emoji, I don't, know, I don't know why. But apparently, that's a, uh, uh, an emoji of anger, somehow. Other emoji for old people include the red heart, the okay hand, the poo emoji, and the monkey covering its eyes. So apparently only old people use those emoji. <laughs> uh, consultant Sue Ellison says the thumbs up emoji can come across as unclear or lazy. I just don't get it. Do these things, I, apparently these, uh, the meanings of these emojis change over time. 
and I just can't keep up with it. So I guess I got to stop using the thumbs up emoji. It's not a good thing, I guess. Um, I long for the days of just basic technology. You know, the more stories I read like that, the more I long for the basic technology of the past. Uh, you know, the early days of the Atari video games. That was that was about as far as... I mean, I think that's where we uh, kind of went round the bend with technology. <laughs> After that, it was all downhill from there. Uh, do you remember, speaking of which, if you are a certain age, you remember uh, your mom telling you that playing video games would rot your brain? Well, how about this? A new experiment suggests otherwise. Researchers in Melbourne, Australia, have taught a collection of human neurons in a Petri dish to play Pong. You know the old video game? Uh, it was very basic, and that's why they used it to test this out, because it was very basic, and so they started there. According to uh, news reports about this study, uh, by the way, they issued a press release on this and a video, the scientists connected the neurons in a Petri dish to a computer to get feedback on if their game of Pong uh, was working, if the, if the paddle was striking the ball on the screen. And using a program developed by the company, the feedback could be tweaked to have the neurons play the game better. The study's lead author, Brett Kagan, says, From worms to flies to humans, neurons are the basic starting block for generalized intelligence. So what we wondered was, can we interact with neurons in a way to harness that inherent intelligence? And this is not just about playing video games. The scientists hope that this experiment can help in developing treatments for diseases affecting the brain. They call it the start of a new frontier in understanding intelligence that touches on the fundamental aspects of not only what it means to be human, but what it means to be alive and intelligent at all, to process information, and to be sentient in an ever-changing dynamic world. That's very deep right there. But that is crazy, isn't it? Teaching just a bunch of neurons in a Petri dish to play a video game. Pong. And I was never very good at that video game, so how does that make me feel when a bunch of neurons in a Petri dish could outperform me at the video game Pong? <laughs> Maybe kind of depressing in that respect. There you go. Some of the most interesting and uh, buzzworthy stories, to be sure, to get your Thursday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather... It'll be partly sunny today with a high of 60, partly cloudy tonight, a low of 38. The Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration has awarded a $4 million grant to the Hancock County Alcohol, Drug Addiction, and Mental Health Services Board, Adamus, to improve the mental wellness of children and youth in Hancock County. One of just six system of care grants awarded nationally, the Hancock Adamus System of Care Project will build on the work started four years ago when the first round of funding was awarded to Hancock County. Get more on how that grant money will be utilized locally on the website. 
The recent announcement that Honda plans to invest billions of dollars into a new electric vehicle battery plant in Fayette County is just the latest in a series of high-profile business developments in the Buckeye State. This is one of three major investments announced in Ohio this year. In January, Intel announced its $20 billion project involving two chip plants in New Albany. Then in June, Ford announced a $1.5 billion investment in Avon Lake, that's in Northeast Ohio, expanding its facilities for electric vehicle production. I'm Yolanda Harris. The city council in Cleveland has approved by unanimous vote a resolution to ban the practice of conversion therapy for children in their community. The measure makes it illegal for mental health professionals in Cleveland to take part in sexual orientation, gender identity, or expression change efforts with a minor without regard to whether that professional is compensated for his or her services. Conversion therapy has most often been used against members of the LGBTQ plus community as part of efforts to change their sexual inclinations. It's been widely condemned by health professionals. Dave James, Owen in News. The Hancock Historical Museum will be hosting an evening of fun for all ages at their upcoming Halloween Spooktacular. This has become one of our favorite events at the museum. It's really oriented or directed for our, our families and children. We have a ton of fun activities for the kids, pumpkin decorating, cookie decorating. We have a free children's book, Halloween children's book, for the first 150 kids. That's Museum Director Sarah Sisser. Halloween Spooktacular is coming up on Saturday, October 22nd. I'm Matt Demchek with 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. It is one of the biggest Finley traditions of them all. The Cops and Kids Halloween Parade is almost here. And uh, Teresa White is with us from the uh, Fort Finley FOP Lodge 20 Foundation. We're putting on the uh, Cops and Kids Finley Halloween Parade presented by Lone Depot. I want to make sure that we get the uh, presenting sponsor uh, in there. And Teresa, thanks very much for uh, dropping by. Getting to be crunch time here. You, uh, The countdown is on and you actually have a countdown on the website. So. We do. <laughs> we do. 12 days till the parade. 12 days. And uh, still in need of volunteers. If folks want to uh, help out, uh, what do you need folks to do? We do need volunteers this year. We need folks at the beginning of the parade helping the parade move along. Nobody mm-hmm. likes a parade with a lot of gaps in it. Right. Uh, we need some folks at the end of the parade. I don't know if anybody's noticed all the orange barrels on South Main Street, but we are going to need some extra volunteers this year to help our floats as they exit the parade. Okay. Navigate around that. All right. Um, nobody likes a stopped parade, so we yeah. have to keep things moving. Mm-hmm. Um, all that candy in the parade generates a lot of wrappers, so we need some help at the end uh, getting things cleaned up, running the leaf blowers so that the street sweepers can get all that taken care of. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a lot of spots left uh, to register to be a volunteer. You can go to our website, which is fortfinleyfop20.org. And there's a Halloween parade tab there that has all the information you need. Okay. Uh, so give us all of the uh, details. This is, uh, like we said, it's coming up in 12 days. Yes. The parade is Tuesday, October 25th. It will step off at 7 p.m. And it runs from South Main Street, from 6th Street, all the way up to Lima Avenue. Okay. Uh, so the the same as the uh, parade route has been the past couple uh, couple of three years. Yes. So, yes. Uh, we have not changed the parade route. Yeah. Um, and can people still get in the parade or? Yes. You can still register if you okay. would like to participate in the parade. Registration closes October 21st at midnight. Okay. So if you'd like to get in the parade, standard registration is $150 for a standard business, but with a nonprofit discount at 75 Okay. Uh, and again, more information on the website uh, for that? Yes. Okay. There's more information on the website. Again, that's fortfinleyfop20.org. 
Also on the website, you'll see big thanks to our sponsors. Um, like Chris mentioned, the parade this year is presented by Lone Depot. We also thank State Bank, South Branch Solar, Val Group, and Marathon Pipeline to be able to sponsor the parade for us this year. Everybody uh, comes together for this. Like we said, it is a huge deal, and it's going to happen uh, regardless of weather, regardless of you know anything. It's, it, I mean, it's going to be beautiful. Yeah. It's going to be beautiful. It will be. It's going to sure. be warm and no wind, no <laughs> snow, no snowsuits under costumes this year. But on the odd chance that Mother Nature is not cooperative, unless we're talking like tornadoes or something like that, you know, it's gonna it's gonna happen. The parade marches on, and it has uh, in the past in all of the above weather scenarios. It so has. Should there be a situation where we have a weather scenario that is yeah. not safe for people to be out? Yeah, that's um, the only thing. We'll let you know right away, but, and then we can get it all out all over local media. Yeah, but. Hopefully, but it's uh, going to be beautiful. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be a, a great time, as it always is, and a big fundraiser for the Fort Findlay FOP Lodge Twenty Foundation. So, for those who you took over this uh, parade a couple of years ago, um, for those who are not familiar with the organization, talk a little bit about it. So, all of the funds generated from the Caps and Kids Finley Halloween Parade fund the programming for the Fort Finley FOP Lodge 20 Foundation, our Cops and Kids programming. Our biggest program is Cops and Kids Go Shopping. So we take children who could possibly use a little extra help at Christmas or benefit from a positive interaction with law enforcement. Mm -hmm. We give them $200 and their own personal police officer and set them loose Christmas shopping at Meijer. It's a fantastic <laughs> event. And every $200 we raise is another child that we get to take. Yeah. Um, it Not only do the kids get a lot out of it, the cops get a lot out of it as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. They are. The officers are already asking. So when's the date for go shopping? When is that? I need to make sure that I get that morning off. Yeah. And following the event all the way into February and March, they're still talking about the kids that they got to hang out with and awesome. who got the Barbie car and all of those fun things. That is uh, that is all kinds of awesome. And that's just now that's the big uh, event that mm -hmm. you do. You've also uh, added a lot of other things uh, throughout the course of the year. Absolutely. So when we created the foundation subsidiary underneath the FOP, we were able to grow from one program, mm -hmm. which was the go shopping program to five programs. So throughout the year, we have cops and kids go back to school, which is for law enforcement families. Uh, we also have cops and kids get involved, which is anytime one of our members want to get involved in the community. We um, we did a lot with 4-H this year. Uh, we helped out Finley Service like Purse Bingo. Anytime that we can increase positive interaction between youth and law enforcement, we want to make sure that there's funding for that. We also have Cops and Kids Get Creative, where our officers read children's books to the kids, and then they create pieces of art together. And uh, our last program that we're working on is Cops and Kids Go to College, and that will be a scholarship named for Officer Doug Akers, who we lost in 2018. Awesome stuff. And if folks want to learn more about uh, all of those programs, again, you've got uh, details on the website. Absolutely. Everything is on our website. Again, that website is fortfinleyfoplodge20.org. Or if you want to give me a call, you can call 833-LODGE-20. And this is a relatively new organization uh, that continues to grow. You mentioned you've you've added programming. It, it, you know, it's something that you know, you're always uh, thinking of ideas and ways to get involved. And like you said, that those interactions between cops and kids. Mm -hmm. So the FOP Lodge has been in Finley since 1935. Mm -hmm. And we still have descendants of those original members that are members today. Yeah. Uh, but a couple of years ago, the Lodge decided that the philanthropy that they wanted to accomplish was outgrowing the money they were able to raise. 
So that's why we started. Which is the- a good thing. You've got more more ways to be involved in the community, and you need uh, ways to raise more money. So Absolutely, that's a good problem to have. Absolutely. So we formed the foundation and uh, needed to come up with some fun fundraiser ideas. And we're always going to be grateful to the Hancock Leadership Alumni Association for trusting us with the parade that they built into such a fabulous event. Again, the parade is next uh, uh, two weeks, a little under two weeks, right? 12 days. 12 days. So just a little under uh, two weeks away. Uh, Circle that on the uh, calendar. And if you want to volunteer, because that's the big push right now. Absolutely. We need volunteers for the parade Tuesday, October 25th at 7 p.m. If you'd like to volunteer, please visit FortFinleyFOP20.org. And click on the Halloween Parade tab. Okay. And uh, thanks to all of the uh, folks who participate in the parade, make it happen. Uh, all of the volunteers, all of the sponsors, uh, presenting sponsor Lone Depot uh, for, for helping make it happen. It wouldn't be possible without all of that help. So. We are so grateful to everyone, to the community and to everyone that's involved with the parade, helping us create positive interaction between youth and law enforcement. Again, Teresa White, Fort Finley FOP Lodge 20 Foundation with us this morning. Looking forward to a great parade as always. Teresa, thanks very much. Thank you. In case you were not already aware, this is Fire Prevention Week. And of course, nobody likes to think about the possibility of being the victim of a fire, but according to statistics from the National Fire Protection Association, more than 1,000 home fires break out every day in this country. More than 1,000 a day. And from the time you first hear the alarm go off, you have about three minutes to escape. What's interesting about that statistic is that 40 years ago, the amount of time that people had to escape from a home fire was 17 minutes. Today, it's just three. Back in October of 2017, we spoke with Steve Kerber, director of the Underwriters Laboratories Firefighter Safety Research Institute, about this it is today's throwback thursday the scientific properties of fire have not changed so is there a theory as to why there is so much less time to get out today sure we are uh, moving to a point where we've completely replaced all of the natural materials in our home with synthetic materials which burn much faster than their natural counterparts so think of sofas that used to be made of, of cotton batting and wool are now made of polyurethane foam and other plastics. Interesting. So uh, given that reality, obviously we're not going backwards there and going to get rid of all of those synthetic materials. Uh, are there things that we can do to slow a fire down or proactively that would potentially slow, slow a fire down? Absolutely. And one of those things is closing doors. You want to try and compartment the fire. So if you're able to close doors before you go to bed, you are cutting off an oxygen supply to that fire. You're also putting up a critical barrier between you and where that fire might be. So a, just a simple thing that we can do, that we can have our kids do, that will uh, help uh, protect us and give us a little bit more time. I know one of the things that concerns, particularly parents, if you got kids in the house uh, worrying about closing those doors and closing ourselves off and closing our kids off and, and so on, and, and that idea of being separated from the, from the kids is a concern. But again, this can be a lifesaver. It is a concern. People want to have quick quick access to their kids, 
But at the same time, those folks don't realize how fast fire is. And if you think it's uneasy uh, being away from your kids when you're sleeping, imagine not being able to get to them because the fire has cut off your access to them. Yeah. But if you know that they've got that closed door protecting them, they'll have much longer than if that door was open. Speaking of which, uh, if the worst should happen, let's say a fire breaks out, what do we do? Well, first thing you want to do is get out. Um, if you can safely get out of the home, you want to open that closed door, see what the conditions are, and if you can safely make it out, you should absolutely get out and have your family go to a meeting place. If you can't get out, having that barrier, having that closed door between you and the fire is critical to buying you that time that could save your life. And, you know, we've talked about this before in terms of setting up a uh, an escape plan or, you know, coming up with those, uh, you know, that, that uh, procedure, that, uh, that advanced plan of what do we do if and accounting for those possibilities. So important to have multiple ways of getting out. Absolutely. Uh, many fires will start in the common spaces of the home, whether it's the kitchen or the living room. So if that's the case, you're cut off from what is typically your most common egress points, which would be the front door or the door to the garage that most people go in and out of. Mm -hmm. Uh, Those can get cut off quickly, which means you need to know a second way out, whether it's a window, whether it's another door. Um, But if you can get that door closed between you and the fire, it'll give you time to make those decisions or have enough time for the fire department to come take care of that fire and get you out. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, as we mentioned, three minutes on average uh, to escape. So the time to come up with those plans is not once you hear the alarm go off. This is in advance. Practice it. Make sure that everybody in the family knows it. And with respect to that, we were talking about that time frame and, and three minutes, and this actually kind of goes back to closing the door as well. I know one of the other arguments, and I'm sure you hear it all the time, if I close the door, I don't know if I'll be able to hear the smoke alarm uh, go off. Absolutely. Uh, it's a common concern that we hear. And as a matter of fact, we just ran a bunch of tests with some sound meters and found that you can hear the smoke alarm very well through the door. And even better, if you can have interconnected smoke alarms, you could have a fire in your basement and hear all the smoke alarms going off because they'll all go off at once. If Let's say you're in the bedroom on the second floor. So if you can get interconnected alarms, even better. That's a good point, and those are becoming uh, more accessible, more available, and more affordable uh, to have those systems thanks to uh, modern technology. Exactly. And, uh, again, the key here is to make sure that those... Uh, smoke uh, detectors work, uh, that those alarms work. Because, again, three minutes becomes a heck of a lot less. If those alarms don't go off, now you're in real trouble. Absolutely. Uh, working smoke alarms is, is the key. It doesn't make any sense to have it up on your ceiling if it uh, doesn't have a battery in it or it doesn't have a power source. Uh, those should be tested on a regular basis and make sure that it's got fresh batteries and it can provide you that warning that you're counting on it for. And how often should those be replaced? Those do have a lifespan, right? Yes. Uh, the battery should be replaced every six months. Mm-hmm. You've heard the change your clock, change your battery. Right. Uh, there are new alarms that have 10-year batteries, lithium-ion batteries, so you don't have to change it. And then you have... Uh, smoke alarms, which don't last forever. Uh, every 10 years, those should be replaced, whether they've been used or not. And 
we uh, also mentioned if you just recently moved into a home, probably a good idea to go ahead and just replace those smoke alarms because you never know how long they've been there. So uh, things that we want to keep in mind uh, because seconds count when we talk about uh, fire in the home. And like we said, uh, according to the statistics, uh, a thousand a day, a lot fewer than 40 years ago. Uh, we're moving in the right direction, but again, we have less time these days, so we definitely uh, want to make sure that uh, people understand how important this is. Uh, you've got more information, more safety tips, and ways to, to plan with your family online, right? Absolutely. We want everybody to go to closeyourdoor.org to find out all the information about everything we talked about. And we want to remind folks that during this Fire Prevention Week, that everyone takes the time to check those alarms, make those safety plans, and close before you doze. Again, our conversation from October of 2017 with Steve Kerber, director of the UL Firefighter Safety Research Institute for Fire Prevention Week. One of the things that struck out uh, stuck out at me uh, from that uh, conversation is talking about interconnected uh smoke alarms or fire alarms uh, in the home and those in the five years since we first aired that interview uh those have become much more common uh smart smoke alarms smart smoke detectors uh in in the home we have them in in our uh home the nest uh connected uh smoke alarms so not only uh, does one go off? They all all go off, but we also get notifications on our phones. So if you have your phone next to you um, on your nightstand and you're concerned that you won't hear the smoke alarm, which those are incredibly loud, you probably will. But uh, if you're one of those people that wakes up whenever there's a notification on your phone, you can uh, set it to do that as well. Just another line of defense. And they're not uh, that expensive uh, and uh, easy to install, uh, connected, and and all of that. So, uh, again, Fire Prevention Week. Time to take this seriously in that we only have three minutes to escape a uh, house fire. Good stuff there. Again, goodmornings.net to learn more. Our Throwback Thursday this morning. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. Here is another. Didn't we have a story uh, almost identical to this just a couple of weeks ago in the uh, broken news? 56-year-old James Sinclair of Florida entered a Chase Bank in Seminole, um, claiming he had a gun under his shirt. It turns out all he had under his shirt was his hand. <laughs> Police say in their report that uh, Mr. Sinclair made the shape of a gun with his finger. He held up the bank with a finger gun. Didn't we just have a uh, another criminal uh, try to do this? <laughs> they pull off a, a heist with a finger gun. Um, <laughs> the uh, teller of the bank, Desiree Stefanik, did not know that it was just a finger gun when he demanded money. Um, he also told her, according to the police report, don't push any buttons uh, while you're opening the drawer and getting me my money. And so she uh, she didn't until he left, and that's when they summoned, summoned police. He got away with a whopping $120. She handed him the cash and he took off. Uh, police later arrested Mr. Sinclair and charged him with a felony count of robbery and noted he did not have any weapons on his person. 
<laughs> no weapons at all. Um, so he, he got he got 120 bucks. He's being held in lieu of $10,000 bond. Um, <laughs> by the way, yes, even though you uh, uh, were only armed with a finger gun, you can still be charged with armed robbery. Because, you know, <clears throat> the brightest tool in the shed there. <clears throat> Speaking of not the brightest, not the brightest bulb in the pack, um, for the superintendent of a school district, it is perfectly appropriate to attend school events and show enthusiasm. I mean, that's kind of what you want from your district leaders. However, uh, there is probably a limit to the amount of enthusiasm you should show at school events. Case in point, Jason D. Thompson uh, <laughs> kicked off his uh, weekend with uh, by attending the football game at Baker High School in Baldwinsville, New York. And uh, the night did not end well. That's how the night uh, started. And uh, the superintendent, now Mr. Thompson is the superintendent of schools, and he was at the uh, Baker High School football game, <laughs> actually did some crowd surfing in the student section <laughs> during, during the game. You know, the uh, crowd surfing where, you know, they, they pass... Uh, someone up and down the stands who's just kind of laying on their back and then people are passing. Their, they're doing that with the superintendent of the schools. Uh, and somebody uh, caught a video, posted it online, and uh, those antics caught the attention of local police officers who thought, maybe there's something going on here. Little after 8 p.m. that night, uh, after Mr. Thompson had left the game, he was uh, driving somewhere, presumably home or wherever, when he made a turn without signaling, and that was all the cop needed to pull him over, tested his blood alcohol content, and found it to be more than double New York's legal limit. <laughs> Oops! <clears throat> now we know why he was having so much fun at the uh, football game. Uh, Mr. Thompson was released on his own recognizance, could face up to a year in jail, a fine of up to $1,000 or both, and I would imagine he's in a little hot hot water with his employer. <laughs> a little too much fun there. <clears throat> anyway. Here's another story. This is another thing that we have uh, occasionally in the uh, broken news from time to time. And here's another example of it, uh, where is a case of uh, mistaken identity at the uh, Clinton County landfill in Iowa. Uh, they recently had a grisly discovery of a body part, or what they assumed was a body part. It was a femur, a human femur, that they found in the landfill. So they called authorities. Sheriff's office took possession of the uh, of the femur and took it to the uh, state medical examiner. Uh, now the report is back, and it appears that the alleged femur was actually a professional grade medical replica that had been discarded <laughs> by a medical school. So all is uh, all is okay. It wasn't an actual human body part, just a professional-grade medical replica. Uh, authorities say the investigation is now closed, but 
Man, you know, that brings up a, a point. I mean, if you're like a medical school or uh, a company that makes these uh, replicas, what do you do with the stuff that you want to throw out? Apparently, <laughs> you can't just put it in the trash. It ends up in the landfill and uh, causes quite a stir. But I guess all's well that ends well. Phew, boy. Um, <laughs> this is a, a story from uh, Texas. Uh, involving 35-year-old Michelle Ochoa, who was a passenger in a car that was uh, pulled over. And uh, apparently Michelle was a little too honest with the officer. According to the police report, Ms. Ochoa openly admitted that she had a warrant or multiple warrants out for her arrest in a neighboring county. (laughs) She just just admitted that to the uh, deputy. So once the officer placed her under arrest... Uh, He proceeds to search the vehicle and finds uh, a a large amount of cocaine and prescription medication, illicit prescription drugs. Uh, Police also found a scale and several unused plastic baggies consistent with that of used for packaging narcotics for distribution. She is now in all kinds of trouble with police. What makes this story worthy of the broken news is her mugshot. When she was taken to jail, uh, she was photographed for a mugshot. And the T-shirt that she happens to be wearing is one of those D.A.R.E. T-shirts. You know, the drug abuse resistance (laughs) education, keeping kids off drugs with the uh, slogan, the D.A.R.E. uh, logo and the (laughs) slogan in her mugshot for... um, Possession of narcotics with the intent to distribute. (laughs) All righty then. And finally, in the broken news this morning. (laughs) Gotta love those internet influencers. Quentin Blackwell is uh, one such social media influencer. That's how he makes money, is he posts stuff online and... I guess, you know, promotions, people pay him to promote products, and uh, he makes money off the uh, advertising videos and so on. So social media influencer Quinlan Blackwell is now asking for donations after he claims he accidentally purchased a couch for $100,000. A hundred grand. The TikToker said... She, oh, it's a she. Uh, okay, the TikTok, I don't know this person, so I thought it was a, a he, but it is a she. The uh, TikToker said she entered her card details as a joke, but was ultimately charged for the furniture. The 21-year-old posted a video showing herself crying and asking viewers for their help <laughs> to cover her mistake. The video, with over 5 million views, many commenters are confused as to why someone would enter their payment information if they had no intention of buying anything. Why would you? Exactly. Especially a $100,000 couch. Excuse me? A $100,000 couch. But if you're so inclined, you can donate uh, to her fund uh, to uh, help her pay off her credit card bill. Now, there you go. Uh, Social media influencers. 
Uh, that is today's broken news report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. This is Ant Lance of OSU Extension. It's harvest season. Drivers will be sharing roads with combines and grain hauling vehicles. Please be alert, especially on roads with limited visibility. Watch out for equipment pulling in and out of fields. Drivers and farmers, let's work together this fall to keep our roads safe and accident-free. This message from WFIN and 95.5 FM. Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. It seems that according to a new study by the Royal College of Surgeons, uh, it, it seems that the COVID pandemic had an impact on the behavioral milestones among infants born during the lockdowns. They looked at 300 babies, 309 babies, actually, that were born between March and May of 2020. So the height of the lockdowns when everything was restricted Um and what they found is that among those babies who were born in that time frame during the lockdown, the uh, lockdown babies, as they refer to them, were 14% less likely to have said their first word by their first year. Hmm. They were 9% less likely to point at objects of interest. And 6% less likely to wave goodbye. Some of these developmental milestones and that on the waving goodbye thing. I, yeah, I can see that because we, we never we didn't visit with people. We weren't wave waving goodbye to people because there weren't any people around. So there wasn't anybody to wave goodbye to. So probably not a surprise there. Now, that being said, not all of the impact, the uh, covid lockdowns had a negative effect on behavioral milestones among these infants. Lockdown babies were more likely to crawl, to start crawling earlier than uh, you would expect. And the researchers in this study theorize that that might be because these lockdown babies were more likely to have spent more time on the floor at home as opposed to being outside the home where they're in car seats and strollers and all of that. So they have more time to learn how to crawl. So kind of interesting, the uh, impact of the uh, COVID lockdown on behavioral milestones. All of these, I, th- I find it fascinating, all of these impacts, maybe unexpected impacts of the uh, pandemic, even among infants who were born in that time frame. So happening around town next week, it is the 14th annual Uncorked and Unplugged event. Benefit the Children's Mentoring Connection. Stacy Shaw and Suzanne Crouch are with us in the studio this morning to uh, share more details. 14th annual. Uh, hard to believe. We've been doing this uh, for 14 years. Yes, absolutely. It all started with an idea. Two guys talking way back then. It was Bob LaRich and uh, 
Dwayne Jebbett, and mm-hmm. they were like, hey, what if we did this? And so yeah. from there, the idea was born, and we have carried it on. And last, late, last year, Great Lakes took it over for us as well, so that was wonderful. Yeah, uh, wonderful uh, to uh, still have a uh, great location for this. Tell us all about uh, Uncorked and Unplugged, what it's, uh, what it's about. Yeah, so Uncorked and Unplugged benefits Children's Mentoring Connection, which is really important um, because we don't charge services to our families, so our mm-hmm. fundraisers are really imperative that we make happen. Yeah. And um, so with this event, um, it's kind of a fun dress-up event in a different venue because we do hold it at Great Lakes Toyota Subaru, mm-hmm. um, and so uh, they're gracious enough to clean out the um, clean out the service bay, and we uh, turn it in very quickly um, to a nice gala event type of thing. We have Bistro uh, will cater our food, so that's always wonderful from that perspective. Um, and then we also have. Um, this year, some of our presenting sponsors with our private selection will be with some private wine selections as an add-on, um, as well as bourbon. So that is Chris and Scott Keller are doing that, as well as uh, Travis and Scott from Lone Depot will also be helping us with that. So uh, great food, fine wine, uh, live music. Live music. They will, We are having Mike Williams this year that's playing on the saxophone. Um, and then we'll also wrap up the evening with an auction. Uh, so talk a little bit about that. What, uh, what have you got for the auction? So the auction, we're really excited. We're going to be rolling out actually, um, on Facebook, our silent auction items next Monday. So there'll be um, a handful of those items that people can start bidding on. We will close that on the event night. So we want to make sure people are watching their bids and and they get the package that they want. Um, and then we'll have a live auction, which will have some separate items. So we have, um, in the live auction, we have a wonderful um, vacation trip to Florida. Um, so uh, that's in a beautiful golf view there in Naples, Florida. So, mm. and yes, it's all okay where that is. So to, but everybody <laughs> at peace of mind. That, yes. yeah. um, but we're good with that um we also have some nice golf packages that we have um and just a variety of things a pool party so kind of gets you looking forward to um to next summer again so as a as a cold coming you know you got that pool party in your back pocket (laughs) yeah uh so how do folks uh, get tickets again this is happening next friday right next friday yes the 21st um, so yeah, so they can check out our website, which is um, cmchancock.org is the easiest place to do that. And then there's a link to that. Okay. And uh, again, as we said, there's a fundraiser for the Children's Mentoring Connection. Uh, talk about uh, some of the uh, programs that uh, you provide uh, just for the benefit of those who are not uh, familiar with the uh, program. Yeah, great. So we provide um, mentoring services to kids ages 6 to 14. Um, and we do that through our community-based program, which you're matched with a child one-to-one and you go out and do things. Or it can also be with our school-based program. So we're excited this year to kind of be back on that normal track with our school-based program, uh, serving seven kids here in Hancock County. And uh, so we're excited to be back, like I said, in person making that happen. Um, And really, as far as from a volunteer perspective, um, we're always looking for volunteers, but it doesn't have to be big things. Um, In the last couple of weeks, I've talked with a couple of parents, and uh, one of them just, you know, mentioned that, the things that the little things are the things that mean the most. Yeah. So for her, for one of them, her little guy, um, his mentor stopped by on his birthday and just to say, hey, you know, thinking of you today, um, happy birthday. And that just meant the world to this young man that um, it wasn't something they had scheduled or planned that day because he had other things that he was doing with family. Mm-hmm. But for him to take that moment 
Um, and then we had another mom that I talked with this week who was um, showing me pictures of her mentor and mentee, and he, the mentor had installed a basketball hoop at their house. Hmm. And um, what was really cool about that is that really gave um, the young man some social opportunities to invite the neighbor kids over in a positive way and yeah. shoot some hoops. So it's, you know, so it's building upon what they did that day, which was to install it. Mm-hmm. But so it's an opportunity for him and his mentor to shoot hoops together, but it's an also a way for him to, um, you know, and for the kids to come to a safe place and do something together. You mentioned, uh, and, and we've talked about it before, a lot of times it's those little things that, that mean uh, a lot. And do you find that that is maybe one of the misperceptions uh, of people that uh, that a commitment to mentoring means, uh, you know, this, this big, huge uh, commitment with all of these big things that you got to plan and do and, and so on? Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest um, one of the biggest barriers for people getting involved. We've had uh, we've done some some surveys and things, and people always think, oh, I don't know if I have enough time. Yeah, and it's not large chunks of time. Mm-hmm. It's not a lot of money that you have to spend on the kids. Right. It really is just being present. So, mm-hmm. um, and our programs have a variety of ways and as far as time that you can volunteer. But even with the community program, like is it you know going for ice cream, going for a walk? I mean, it's a beautiful yeah. time of year. Head out to the parks. You a know, lot of those things kind of that you stuff. would want to do anyway. Absolutely. And, you know, you just have uh, a tag along as it yes. as it were, it's, somebody and, to share that with. And sometimes it's stuff you'd like to do, but mm-hmm. you don't want to do it by yourself maybe you want to go for a hike that's a good point or maybe you want to go catch the new kids movie that looks really cool but you know you're 50 years old and like "Ah, i don't know if i want to be the only one sitting in the theater watching that movie um you know because you just want to relive your childhood a little bit you know that is a a really good point it's not uh it's not only the the kids that get something out of this uh program quite often the uh, mentors uh, come back with get a lot out of it as well yeah, absolutely. And that's what we hear time and time again yeah. from our mentors is, you know, is the what they've gotten from it. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, it is definitely a symbiotic uh, relationship. Um, and like you said, there are different ways to uh, volunteer. The one-on-one is the traditional uh, mentoring pairing that everybody thinks of, but you've got the school-based programs. You've got uh, programs that allow an entire family to get involved. Yes, and- you can do it as your family. You can mentor a child. You can mentor as a couple. Um, and we also have a variety. We have a program called our PALS program, and that's for those kids that are waiting to be matched in our community program. So we have volunteers who don't have a whole lot of time um, in their schedules, or they may have different seasons in their in the year that that are busier for them so yeah. um i like to use coach smith at the university of finley men's soccer coach he's been mentoring with us over 25 years hmm. um but and during season as you can imagine right. he's pretty busy, busy. Yeah. um you know he's got a whole team he's mentoring during soccer season <laughs> exactly. so when he's not in season that's when he'll call and he'll just say hey there's something going on at the university for kids can I pick up a couple kids or, or, you know, Christmas is coming. He likes to take the kids to lights before Christmas. So he'll just call um, okay. up our case managers when he's got time in his schedule. And then we'll connect him with our kids that are waiting for a match um, to go out and do different things. So it's so, different kids. So real quickly, uh, if someone is interested in learning more about the mentoring opportunities, how do they go about uh, starting that process? Yeah, so a couple of ways. They can check out our website, which is cmchancock.org. Or they can just give us a call, 419-424-9752. Okay. And again, uh, the uh, tickets for Uncorked and Unplugged are available now. That event is coming up on Friday of next week. Yes, next Friday. So if you want a ticket, get it soon because we do have very few left. Okay. And uh, again, how do we get those? The same way. Our, our, uh, either our website, cmchancock.org, or 419-424-9752. Very good. Again, Uncorked and Unplugged coming up next week to benefit the Children's Mentoring Connection. Such a terrific program. 
program uh, in the community. Stacy Shaw and uh, Suzanne Crouch, kind of the strong silent type over here today. <laughs> uh, thanks very much for uh, dropping by. We appreciate it. All right. Perfect. Thank you, Chris. And that will finish up our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us once again on the program this morning. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the program at our webpage. So check us out online at goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow to finish up the week, remember the images of empty animal shelters as people rushed out to adopt pets at the height of the pandemic? Well, now with the cost of everything squeezing family budgets, have those extra four-legged family members become more of a burden than a blessing? Plus, we'll preview the weekend in high school football, another collection of recipes from Kyra's Kitchen, and more. Until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow.